Hello, my name is Chris and I'm head of content at Nordic Fintech Magazine. And today we want to welcome you to the ownership economy, where you'll be able to capitalize on your existing digital assets in ways that were previously completely unimaginable. Now, Web3 continues to be the talk of the town as more clarity emerges on how this technological revolution will reshape the way we use and think about the internet. As decentralized models for interaction and transaction between parties continue to take hold, visionaries and innovators in this space are developing the services of the future that will allow us to capitalize on our assets in dynamic and exciting new ways. So have you got some money lying around? Well, sure, you can go and buy a crypto on a crypto exchange and maybe hold it in your wallet in the hope that it gains value. But through these centralized finance protocols that are enabled through Web3, you will have the option to place that asset on a liquidity pool, a yield farm, and a whole range of brand new exciting services that will change the dynamics of personal finance and business finance. Now, in this highly upbeat conversation with six-time crypto and blockchain startup founder and general manager of Layer 3 Ventures, Taylor Ryan, we go on an exciting roller coaster ride of what the near-term future of payments, money transfers, and interaction between people will look like. Learn more about how decentralization will impact the ownership of assets and organizations and how users will finally be rewarded for investing time, attention, and data, their most valuable assets, in the development of online platforms. Web3 offers so much potential that is set to become a component as essential to every business model as the internet is today. Taylor, thanks so much for coming down. It's great to see you and uh, great to have you here. Yeah, good to see you again and thanks for having me. This is always kind of a cool thing to get out in front of people and, and yeah, kind of get into it. I agree, I agree. So. Just let's, let's get started. Tell us a bit of, uh, about, about you, who you are and what you do. Sure. So I'm a six-time startup founder. I'm originally from Washington, D.C., but I've been living here in Copenhagen, Denmark for almost seven years now. Time flies, I guess, when you're having fun. For the last three years, I've been building and scaling organizations, small, medium, and large, uh, and particularly within Web3, crypto, and blockchain. Uh, and that's taken over the majority of my business, which has led to so many interesting angles got involved with some DAOs and Near Protocol, and that led to building an accelerator called Near Nordic, and that led to also building a venture fund, which is Layer 3 Ventures. So lots of things in the pipeline, lots of stuff going on. Awesome, okay, so let's let's get into Web3 because it's a, it's a term we hear all over the place lately. It's, it's, it's become a little bit of a buzzword, and I think a lot of us maybe don't really understand what Web3 is all about. So sure. tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the bigger challenges these days is with so much new vernacular and, and jargon terms that pop out of an industry that very few people are actually speaking the language of, it becomes so difficult to follow. So to me, Web3 is basically the decentralization of the different ways that we used to interact with either the financial funds or existing business models that will like totally change within the next five to 10 years. So think of, Everything that you knew from Web 1, which is like search and navigation, to Web 2, which is more of that social connection, to Web 3, which is pure decentralization across the financial, but also the interaction of different people, which is super interesting if you ask me. Right, okay, so I think what I'm, what I'm keen to understand is how will Web 3 affect the, your, your average Joe? You're the guy with a family, with, with a mortgage that goes about his business on a daily basis. Yeah, so, you know, I. I had given a number of keynote presentations about 
how the average person will be affected by Web3. And one of the easiest ways that I, I think people can do it themselves is to pull out your phone and start going through your pictures. And for me, it was one every five photos was basically going to be affected by Web3 within the next five years. So you're talking about transportation, you're talking about paying rent, invoicing, you're talking about the transfer of cash and the way that it facilitates between vendors and individuals is going to completely change. And this is happening at scale. And I think it's a super interesting space right now. But it's funny because I say that to some people and it's like, you don't know how I live. You don't know what's in my phone. And it's like, no, I guess not. But for me, I, I think legitimately there is no business model that will exist in 10 years that doesn't have some form or another of a tie within Web3. And that's pretty wild. Wow, yeah, indeed. So we, we understand that there's a very strong financial component when we talk about Web3. Can, can you can you enlighten us as, as to what's what's the relationship between Web3 developments and finance? So there's a lot of different directions to go into with that. Cool question, but you know, like I think one of the bigger challenges is the education side of what actually can you do with this technology, and it it kind of fractals out when you start looking at the different ways that smart contracts work and look at the world of legal and just realize that every single thing that you have ever signed is technically a contract. If you had it on a ledger, it would be saved there forever, unable to be edited, which means, hey, you get rid of fraud. Or another thing could be, instead of just throwing your assets, your money, into a bank, maybe you're able to actually get more value out of it by getting better interest rates. Or maybe the thought is, I want to be able to, I don't know, capitalize on a number of different assets that I just want to hold in my savings. And that's like liquidity pools and uh, yield farming. Like mm -hmm. there's so many different ways. And and I think the, the misnomer right now is that people are like, so you just, get on an exchange and like you buy a coin and then you hold it. And it's like, why would you do that? Like that's like on a part with like Pokemon cards right. or something. Like that's not what we're talking about. I think the real interesting stuff is really popping out of DeFi, mm -hmm. uh, decentralized finance. And that to me is staking liquidity pools and yield farming and, and some of these like really interesting loan platforms that are coming out as well, which I mean, it changes the whole dynamic and the way that we used to think about personal finance as well as business finance. Yeah. Dude, right now, I am losing money by leaving it in the bank. In Denmark, we pay negative 1% interest as a business, anything over 100 grand. And there's not too many businesses that I'm aware of that can survive with just 100,000 kroner in the bank. So if I had an option to be able to put that money somewhere else, like, dude, I'd take it yesterday. Right. So I think there's a lot of really interesting dynamics, and I think it's all well-suited for a big change in the relative near future. Right, okay, so something that I thought was really interesting is that as we saw the, the evolution of Web2, uh, we, we saw a lot of business model innovation. And we, we, learned, we learned about this because they were given labels. We talked about the subscription economy and the attention economy. And now I've heard a, a new term uh, related to Web3, which is called the ownership economy. Um, why is it being called the ownership economy? What's, what's, what has ownership had to do with it? So 
The idea of the ownership economy is super interesting, and, and that's one of the reasons that I got into this stuff. So like Google makes 92% of its revenue for the year off of ads. And that's crazy, right? Like I'm basically losing money or not being rewarded for the engagements that I end up making, whether I'm looking at a particular advertisement or I click into something, we're looking at a potential new revolution of not only the way that you surf the internet, but the way that you get compensated for being online. Our attention is actually valued when you go into these social media platforms. Look at Facebook or LinkedIn. Every microsecond, fraction of a second that you are on the newsfeed, you are being fed ads and they're compensated based off of that feed. So if there was a platform, which I'm sure there will be and eventually it's a race to the top, that allows you to be compensated for every click, for every ad that you view. And there's been models that have tried to do this on Web2. It just hasn't been very easily monetized. But we're talking about giving people the chance to take back what is ultimately theirs. And it's also this play into decentralization. One of the interesting videos that I showed within my presentation uh, during my launch event was a VC talking about the dynamic shift between VCs owning 30%, 40%, 50% of an entire project, that destabilizes everybody. Right. If everybody owns pieces, there's no way that one single person can crash a project. So there's a lot of different dynamics there, but yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting way of giving people ownership of not only their own data, but being able to monetize it along with their own attention. Right, okay, and, and then we, we know that, that you're involved in, in accelerating projects related to Web3. So so the question I have for you is, is why why is there this uh, this this trend of, of 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 accelerating that specific type of type of developments uh, as opposed to like general fintech or other types of uh, projects that, that will require capital? Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways of looking at the need to invest right now and also the sense of urgency. And there's a number of interesting like players in this space, but. I always try to use metaphors to think of it. So like there's this great movie, it's super old school, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, I don't know if you ever heard of it. Uh, it's Alec Baldwin at his best, you know, thin Alec Baldwin. Uh, but yeah, like he's, he's this really roughneck uh, sales lead and he's uh, basically training these guys within a car dealership. Mm -hmm. And first place uh, for the month in sales is get a new Cadillac. Second place, steak knives. And it's a great metaphor for the way that business works. It's what is often referred to as blitzscaling, a great little book with lots of little anecdotes and stories. But the idea is nobody gives a shit about who comes in second place. It's winner take all. And so you look at a marketplace where there's literally 100 cryptos being launched every single day. In five years, how many of those are actually gonna be around? How many of those are going to be picked up for mass adoption? I'd say very few. Mm -hmm. And so the sense of urgency to potentially own the marketplaces of maybe the next 50 years, who knows, is, is on the line right now. So those that are building the fastest and bringing in the most talent and have at least the most focus on what they really want to accomplish are the most likely to win the next 50 years. That's a big deal. Right. Nobody cares about second place. So the idea is start now and hopefully you can get to that finish line before anybody else. Right, right. Okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about the opportunity, the business opportunity that exists for decentralized organizations, DAOs or, 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 or DAPs themselves. What, what's, 
what's different from the business opportunities that have existed previously with centralized models? Sure, I, I think one of the bigger challenges, and I struggle with this sometimes too, is you're not taking web two artifacts or apps or business models and just shifting them over. We're talking about technology that doesn't play the same way. And, and that's one of the bigger challenges is to get people kind of rooted into that space. And so one of the bigger instances that I see opportunities is these decentralized apps that provide a better user experience and allow people to get maximum benefits like almost right out of the gates. And what I'm seeing is not a lot of people are really building right now for a great user experience. It's like a big test net where everybody's trying different stuff. And you can see this, there's plenty of different websites. There's I think World of Dapps and Dapp Radar and there's all these websites that are tracking and it's almost on a daily basis that new technologies are popping up and there's so many different use cases right now, whether it's shipping or gaming or ultimately the metaverse or DeFi. And everybody's kind of got their own little angle and, and flavor on it. And I'm always curious to see what is, what is kind of the next big thing, but it's moving so quickly that honestly, like in a month there'll be a thousand new dApps that nobody's ever seen before and the models may end up being something that is super uh, you know profitable who knows mm. I don't know if that answers the question though yeah it does but I, I'd like to follow up on that because I, I, as you said there's this is not just an evolution it's, 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 a, it's a shift in the way the technology works now do you do you think that organizations that have been used to doing business in the way that we all know business works so far will they be able to achieve the mindset shift that's re required that's for them cool to question. leverage the, this, this new way of doing things? Or is this basically just greenfield for the new generations that are coming up? Yeah, if you look at the current leaders of the market today, yeah. uh, and these are the biggest companies, that I always either say the people that are on the Fortune 500 list uh, or the people that are in the S&P 500, these are the top companies in the world mm. that are basically bringing in the most amount of revenue. Mm. If you look at the historical uh, precedent or the historical traction of companies that are within the S&P 500, you end up seeing that the average time span for a company to sit on there between 1990 and now is about 13 years and it's continuing to shrink. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, you were looking at companies that were on there for 30 years. Right. And you're realizing that big companies don't do this stuff well. You get really good at doing the right thing, but for too long. And I don't, I don't have any uh, sympathy for big bloated companies that end up just kind of fizzling out because the reality is like, you had all the resources in the world, more than anybody else, yet you got in your own way, why? And you know, I, I think of it as like maybe an out of shape Olympian. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody that wins the gold, like uh, there's this great uh, story of Rulon Gardner, who was basically, he was on <laughs> The Biggest Loser, uh, an American reality television right. show. This guy beat out the favored Russian guy in the 2000 Olympics, and it was this great story. And then flash forward like 15 years, and the guy's super fat and out of shape. And the problem is that that guy knows what he is supposed to do. He knew that he needs to eat right, exercise, not stuff his face with you know terrible food, but ultimately he didn't. And the reality is he got too comfortable or he rested on his old victory. And the reality is big companies do that too, but at much bigger scales. And it's super disappointing. I walk into a lot of these places and I'm like, look guys, like somebody's gonna be eating your lunch in about five years. What do you wanna do? And it's like, well, that hasn't happened in the last five years. And it's like, no, of course not. 
I think we're gonna see that at scale and I don't necessarily empathize with a lot of people that just get lazy because you know they won big a long time ago. So that, that's, that's, a, that's a great analogy to make. So in, in your mind, do you think, you, you mentioned earlier that, that in the future we'll see every single business with a component of Web3 in it. My question is, is there still space for the traditional way of doing business? Or do we, do we see these, these conflicting ideologies, ones that's rising up with Web3 and decentralization? Will, will there be still a place in the market for centralized business models? Sure. I, so, so if the question is, will there be traditional businesses in a world where Web3 has, has grabbed on to the majority of businesses? Of course. There are still somewhere out there, there's got to be a, a typewriter repair person. Like right. I, I'm sure somebody does that. You know, I was out at a, uh, a really off-site, awesome off-site event in Italy last week, working with an ag tech company that's a market leader within their particular agricultural technology. And I was showing them how to use AI in order to create content and AI in order to automate some of the messaging. And you would have thought that I was telling them that they had to kill their firstborn <laughs> and give up everything that they known to be the truth. And it's like, look, I'm, I'm not inviting this stuff into your organization. I'm just telling you what's coming. You know, you can decide if you watch the news in the morning whether or not you want to bring an umbrella with you uh, because the forecast is it's going to rain. You know, I didn't invent the rainy day. I just happen to have one of the better umbrellas. So the idea is that if you know that this is going to affect you in one way or another, why wouldn't you at least glance over at it and be like, what is this? as opposed to, no, not in my backyard, because I see that all the time, and it's the most frustrating thing. Some people you can tell until you're blue in the face that this will change a lot of different dynamics. You might as well play with it while it's early so you have an understanding of it by the time it's really here. Mm -hmm. And I think most people are uncomfortable with change. I, I know I certainly am, and I, I think the average person doesn't necessarily immediately embrace something they're not familiar with. And I think education is a big part of that, but the other side of it is just being open to the way that the market works. You yeah. know, it, it doesn't care about your feelings, doesn't care what you've done before. It cares about what's happening right now and money. And so if you are able to save people money, do something faster and automate most of the things that used to be a manual thing or really sucked at doing, then you're gonna find that people are going to embrace that because yeah. it's just better. Yeah, I, I, I spend a lot of time working with transformation and I think one of the main dif differences between change and transformation is that in order for transformation to be successful, you have to unlearn what you've known to be so true, true so far. Yeah. And, and I think as individuals and as organizations, unlearning is very difficult. So um, I, I think they, there's really a, a, an uphill battle for companies to really grasp the potential of Web3 and to, and to and to thrive on it, right? Yeah, well, I think it's also generational. I, I don't wanna have people think that I'm ageist or whatever, but there is a very interesting dynamic there. Mm. And if we wanna call it innovation or corporate innovation, that's fine. But the idea of somebody getting into a workforce pre-internet and using a very simplistic version of computers and then being continuously smacked in the face with new and new and new technology, at some point you're like, you know what, I can't keep up. Like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna stay on like this side of things and hopefully this is enough to get me through the night. 
And I, I think that you'll have a lot more people that are somewhat more familiar with that space, whether they're millennials or Zs, that are used to this rapid change on a regular basis. Mm. And I think the user experience has gotten so much better that, yeah, it, it should be easier to adapt. But there's definitely going to be that overlap of people that are like, I can't, I won't, I don't like anything that is new and, you know, it. I have nothing to give them at that point. Yeah, yeah, right. And uh, you speak very passionately about this, and uh, I'm sure there's there's a lot of things that excite you about it. But is there anything in particular that you think, oh, I can't wait for this to become a reality in relation to the to the potential of Web3? Well, I think you know it, it's it's pure speculation in terms of what's really coming. Mm -hmm. But there are a number of really interesting dynamics that, from like a a 30,000 foot view look crazy interesting. So the idea of everybody on the planet can potentially buy into a specific asset, you know, and knowing that I can own a very small fraction of, I don't know, the Eiffel Tower, and I'm monetized on that for every picture of stock footage that comes out that includes the Eiffel Tower, who knows? I think that's a really interesting dynamic. I, I would say that the idea of the automation side hitting the way that we are actually paying bills is also super interesting to me. And I'm just going through it right now, so that's why it's top of mind, but it's like, damn, taxes, and you know, having to pay all of the little things that, you know, I'm opening a business or running a business in a foreign country. I have no idea how half these things work, and you really have to figure a lot of these things out, but there's constant transfers of different elements of money, and if you have a ledger that tracks all of this, then you don't need me to, at the end of the month, sit there with an accountant for an hour, and you don't need me to do that once every quarter for four hours, you know? Like, these are things that I, hate doing as a business owner, I hate doing as a person, and I imagine an automated version of that is coming in the relative near future, where I don't need to upload anything to anyone ever because it's all tracked. Like, that's so much easier, yeah. you know? And like, that level of finance is maybe not the sexiest thing to some people, but it affects me on a daily basis. Right, so it's a problem that you have. Totally. Yeah, yeah. But there's gonna be a million versions of problems that I don't have that other people do that they find sexy and interesting and potentially puts them into stratospheric wealth or puts them into a place where they now have more time to enjoy with family or kids. Like, these are all interesting elements that are just yet to be proven models because it's so early. Right, okay, and I want to pick up on this stratospheric wealth that you just talked about because part of the, of the trend that we've seen here is, is that through the emergence of cryptos and with NFTs, there's been almost like a race for fast money. Like, how do I get in the game because I want to become rich fast? Yeah. Now, do you have any concern that perhaps Web3 is going to, to feed uh, a trend in society or a cultural trend that perhaps it's concerning as a, as a, as a society and as individuals. Live. Totally get it. Yeah, I think that's one of the bigger challenges. So the idea of get rich quick has existed in every industry and has been around pre-industrial revolution, you know, and, and the thought process of watching people that are ranting and raving and bragging about how they've tripled or quadrupled their wealth overnight by putting a few pennies into something that took off, that is super dangerous. And we're in the wild west right now of this type of, of technology and also these types of asset classes. And it is scary. Uh, I've definitely watched my own portfolio diminish significantly just over uh, the period of May, uh, well, April into May. 
these are things that are going to stay with us for a while. And one of the more interesting things that I've seen as I've worked with crypto clients is anytime you see a 20% increase in a coin, people then jump behind it even more and you see a massive spike followed by a massive sell-off. Yeah. And there's all kinds of bad players in this space that are building hubs or pods of people that basically buy in at the same time. And then everybody's like, oh shit, yeah, there's 20% growth here. I gotta get in, I'm missing my action. And then everybody sells off and then you're left holding the bag, which is a fancy way of saying you're kind of screwed. Yeah, and that's becoming so commonplace. And as regulation eventually comes around to this scene, I think you're gonna see a lot more standardization, a lot more security, and probably a lot less of these crazy projects that are rug pulls or just completely go to zero. And to me, that that's what I'm looking for because right now it's really millionaires and billionaires that are pulling all the strings. I, my little investment of $100 here or even 500 there does not affect the price of a coin at scale. But if somebody has 500 million, they can potentially crash entire projects and ruin lives. And you saw this with Luna uh, not too long ago, where they basically unhinged the stable coin that was backing this thing. Yeah. This is a real thing. Mm. Uh, when we last met, you, 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 showed, you showed a clip about how regulation validates these sort of initiatives. And then actually when, when regulation comes in, we see a, an increase in, in the uptake of uh, of the Wild West, as you call it now, right? So, right. so do you see that happening anytime soon with Web3 developments as well? Or, or are we way too early in, in the hype cycle to, uh, to anticipate yeah. regulatory framework? So this happens within the kind of traditional finance space in terms of stocks. And whenever there's a pretty sharp decline within the market, it basically is like taking the water out of a bay and you start to see like these sunken vessels and, and things that normally wouldn't get exposed. And what we've uncovered with doing that is monsters that probably shouldn't have been around to begin with. So as we get into, and there'll be other projects that go from a crazy more than billion dollar valuation down to zero, that's where the government will in earnest step in and who knows if it's all for the best at the immediate, but in the long run, absolutely. The reason that I know when I go to the store and I slap down a kroner or a dollar and I expect to be able to get either change back or make a purchase is because it is stable. Yep. And most people are apprehensive about buying into something that is relatively new and unproven. So yeah, I'm a proponent of regulation on this front because mm -hmm. there is nothing stopping anybody with a crazy amount of money to short all kinds of stocks and then invest in them and then immediately pull out the same amount of money just to have it go down. Like that's baffling to me. So I'd like to see more of it. And I would say that the people that are in charge of making these decisions are so far behind the curve because this technology is so new. Yeah. And you're definitely seeing that in the US. I can't speak really for how things are going uh, in Denmark specifically, but I, I do think that the EU is a little further ahead with at least some of the regulation. Mm. Yeah, indeed. All right, and then <coughs> maybe just to close, um, could you recommend for the average individual that is just starting to hear about this, um, any any platforms or anything they could engage with to start testing out what Web3 is all about so they become more familiar with it and perhaps more comfortable with the whole uh, developmental side of the technology? Yeah, so I can't remember the psychology principle of this. Um, it's basically for a business owner, you don't become 
actually invested in your company until you're starting to spend your own money on stuff. And a lot of people go through this, like it's nights and weekends and they still keep their day job. The moment that you quit your day job and then you're taking your own finances out and putting it into something, it's like, oh, now it's real. Like that's money that I had put away and now that's spent. If you do that, I think it does actually, it clicks something in your head that makes you a little more engaged. So what I have proposed to a lot of people is like, you know, take what you can afford to maybe not see again in order to test out some of these different projects and platforms. So I've always encouraged people, get on a reputable exchange. There's lots, I mean, you Google the word exchange and you'll find lots of ads and then eventually organic traffic. That's a whole different conversation, but (laughs) you'll find eToro, Binance, uh, you know, crypto.com, whatever, you know, pick your flavor and buy a couple of tokens and then try to take those tokens transfer them somewhere else. Mm-hmm. See how hard that is. The first time I did it, I was like, I was watching videos like on YouTube for the first like half hour. My hands were sweating and I was, <laughs> I was afraid I was gonna lose all my money, right. you know? And I transferred it into a second wallet and I was like, okay, that wasn't so bad. I can see it there, you know, like there's some gas fee, whatever. Then I transferred it to a exchange that did DeFi. So. Uh, I think the platform I did was Ref Finance and it was related to Near, but then it allowed me to go on to staking and understand that now I was getting 20% interest on the same asset that I owned before. When you go through a couple of these steps and it, it is uncomfortable at first, you'll start to realize like, oh, that's what I was freaked out about. That wasn't actually that hard. Mm. It's just, no. most people don't take that first step. I had a number of people on my team that I wanted to kind of, give this to and so i'm like all right i'm going to show everybody how to open up a wallet if you want to i'll give you the 300 kroner to get started right and half the team said no and i was like what it's free money and it's like yeah but i don't know what this is like i have no idea like they're asking for ids and it's like yeah it's called know your customer like kyc it's so that you're not some nefarious drug lord that's like laundering money And even then, and these are young people that are still apprehensive about stepping into something because it's all so new. So my biggest advice would be get on an exchange, acquire a coin, transfer it to a different wallet like MetaMask or Trust Wallet, and then transfer it to a different platform. A different platform that maybe you're able to do staking and you can find lots of different staking opportunities. Proof of stake, just do a quick Google search and that would be at least enough to get you kind of going, okay, I think I have an idea of, of how to get started within DeFi, because I think that's the least barrier to entry way of getting in. Well, Taylor, it's absolutely fascinating hearing you talk about Web3. Your, your excitement is contagious. And <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> uh, so thanks so much for coming down, and we, of course, look forward to having you at Nordic Fintech Week in September. Uh, it's it's going to be an awesome session. Cool, can't wait. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you very much.